I'm really keen to understand from you, Neil, what is it about design that really excites you? Because design has multiple variations. I'm pretty confident that this is a topic that you and I both love to share with our listeners and turn that into a much more of a wider discussion as we go through the topics today. Yeah, it's kind of one of those questions, isn't it? It's kind of like asking, does God exist? Or, or even worse, your mum asking you kind of what you do for a job. This kind of whole idea of design is uh, its just everything to me. It, it just excites me that every single thing in the world has been designed. And, you know, everything we see, everything we touch, everything we kind of engage with. And uh, design just doesn't live on its own. And I've been trying to theorize about this for quite a long time but you know design with technology just doesn't exist and design without strategy just does not exist so you know design has so many factors which kind of make it what it is and and i really believe that you know we have the role to and a responsibility for everything that we design to have purpose and i think we've gone through this period of design just being a luxury it was this kind of thing which was put on a pedestal but now it's so ingrained and part of everyday life we have to make sure what we do brings value. And it's really quite hard sometimes to measure value. And it's also sometimes quite difficult to explain to a client what the value of design can actually bring. But I think we really need to go much, much deeper into kind of understanding businesses, their customers, and make sure that whatever we create, whatever we design, whatever is influenced by the work that we do, again, kind of has purpose. Absolutely. And, you know, I think... Even more so now, right? It's you don't have purpose and you don't have a reason for being. The consumers and the customers and the users will discard you as a brand. Welcome to the Knowledge Institute podcast, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, design, and future work. The topic today is the role of design and creativity in the world that we're living in right now. I'm recording this podcast with my special guest, Chief Design Officer at Brilliant Basics, Neil Cooper. My name is Anand Verma. I'm the European Head of Digital Services for Infosys and founder and CEO of Brilliant Basics. Neil, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Anand. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to have you on the show, and I'm pretty sure our listeners will really enjoy listening to this as well. Neil, we are living in a very interesting kind of times right now. Uh, we're recording this podcast remotely through many tools like phones and Zooms and what have you. Producer is in Florida, you are in uh, other part of London, I'm in North London here. And I think the role technology has right now is pretty amazing. But, you know, I think I'm really keen to understand more about your views on the role of design and creativity. COVID-19 has led to multiple kinds of innovation all across the world. And uh, design has a big role to play in that, right? So before we kind of kick off that topic, Neil, Let's talk a little bit more about you, yourself, your backstory, uh, where you've come from, and also briefly about what you do at Brilliant Basics as well. I first really got into design from actually designing the school tie. Um, it, it sounds like a, a crazy, crazy kind of thing, but I was really inspired by two teachers at school. That was my art teacher, Miss Molyneux, and my design teacher, Miss Thomas. And they were the only two who really opened my eyes up and did something completely new. This kind of idea of being able to create and make and design like things, stuff, it didn't matter what it was. I was just really inspired by this idea of being able to think something, evolve that idea and create something off the back of it. It just really, really inspired me kind of like all the way through. And, you know, these two people really are 
the two people who, who opened my eyes into a different way. So from design at GCSE and A-level, I did a foundation course and then moved on to art college to do fine art. I was actually the first person from my state to go to university to do fine art. Uh, everybody wondered where the hell I'd got to for the last three years, came back with long hair and looking a little bit unkempt, but I was there following my passion. So after a degree and then an MA in fine art, I uh, literally moved to London uh, with my now wife, Avinda, and got my very first job at a small below-the-line advertising agency. I was working there for about three months, but there was just something missing from my life, and uh, it was painting. It was the idea of creation. It was that whole idea of, of making something, you know, it was wasn't necessarily the, the smell of paint, but it was just this whole kind of creative process. And I think just the job I was in just wasn't creative enough for me. It wasn't conceptual enough for me. I went to night school to learn this thing called HTML because I wanted to get my paintings out there. And uh, I wanted to kind of share the world, these kind of great vision that I had. And it was just incredible, you know, being able to take, again, something, an idea, visualize it all very clunkily and very kind of basically into HTML just kind of transformed me in the way that I started to think about the world. I was very fortunate to get my first digital job at a company called agency.com kind of way, way, way back in 1999. It's incredible. Most of the people on my team weren't even born then, I don't think. But I really learned a lot about kind of conceptual kind of thinking, digital marketing, working for a lot of big brands from British Airways to Barclays Bank and Heineken. And from there, I moved on to a company called AKQA, where I actually met Anand. And uh, at AKQA, we had five incredible years, which at the time was like the Swedish finishing school of design. It was all about creativity and ideas. 20 ideas weren't good enough. You had to come up with 50 I don't think we left there before 10 or 11 o'clock for most nights because the, the pressure for creativity and design was so intense. But it really instilled the idea of craft kind of into my life and the idea that you really needed to go above and beyond to kind of start out in the marketplace. I then moved on from there to help agencies really bring digital to the table. I mean, it was at a time, you know, even in 2005, you think a lot of design was we were probably still in this art director copywriter mode, but it was very much kind of about the two pairings coming up with the ideas. And with the poor relations or cousins around the corner called the, the digital designers or the interactive designers, would make a homepage make sense and uh, support a campaign. But really, I felt my job was to put ideas on the table and think about how an idea could be translated through different mediums. And through my career, that's kind of pretty much, again, something which holds true. I'm very interested in the, the experience, the end-to-end -end brand experience. I then moved on to a company called Sapient. And I worked at Sapient for about four years uh, where I was leading their visual design domain across Europe and MENA, working on some really interesting projects. So it, I worked on the pitch for the Lloyd's Digital Transformation Project, which at the time was the biggest piece of work to, ever to be won, I believe, in the country. To working on theme parks as well. We did some great work in Abu Dhabi for Morale Asset Management Company, for Warner Brothers, for Ferrari World, for Yaz Island, and for a water park there. So a real kind of mix and variety of the type of work, very kind of steeped um, towards branding. So branding is something I'm very, very passionate about. And that's something which I always try and bring into our work. You know, I have this kind of mantra, the brand is the experience, the experience is the brand. And that is something which really underpins, I believe, everything we should be thinking about. And Ant and I met, we had coffees, um, we, we talked and talked. <laughs> I was really kind of attracted by Ant's vision for DB. 
kind of where he wanted to take it, how he wanted to really kind of elevate and move the business to another level. And we talked about what my role could be and where I'm at today in a kind of very exciting, very kind of fortunate position to be working alongside Anand to help shape and develop and steer the company's vision. Thanks, Neil. That's incredibly inspiring. And, you know, I've known you for a long time and it's always nice to hear your story from designing a tie to designing some of the world-class brand experiences. You know, we are very lucky to have you. And recently, with your help, we're also designing the future of BB in partnership with Infosys as well, which is all about, you know, people, product, planet. And that's been a core mantra for how we see the world today. And I really wanted to kind of, you know, remind the listeners of the topic today. And the topic is the role of design and creativity, especially in the current world that we are living in. Before we kind of go into the detail about the current situation, you know, I was reading yesterday about this is the time to create purposeful brands ever than before. People are looking at things with a different lens now. There is a role for design to kind of achieve that purposeful branding. Yeah, 100%. And I think what's really interesting about these times is that, you know, you've got to almost believe as a designer, you can change the world because... At the moment, the world is changing so quickly and fastly around us. We have to really uh, be ahead of the curve a little bit on this. We have to be proactive. We have to be really thinking kind of one step ahead for our clients, you know, not necessarily for our competitors. It's for our clients and for the way that they connect with their customers. And I find this whole situation kind of fascinating in the way that everyone from the Tate Gallery or the Saatchi Gallery or to even pizza companies like Pizza Pilgrims and also Patty and Bun do this whole DIY, make it yourself home type of kind of like takeout now. And, you know, such a lovely idea, but previously it just wouldn't have happened. You would have kind of picked up the phone, you'd have made an order, it would have been delivered to your house or you make an online reservation and you walk into a restaurant and you have dinner. But this whole reframing of experience now is uh, something which absolutely needs designing, you know, and that design needs to be really truly embedded in experience, current experience and future experience. 100%. You know, the businesses have turned upside down, isn't it? Like Pizza Pilgrim to think about how to make pizzas at home. Dishoom has to think about how to help, you know, with the recipes and, you know, their book launch, for example, yesterday we're talking about, right? There's this kind of sense of connectivity or connecting tissue that has turned businesses completely upside down. And that leads me to my next question for you, Neil. In terms of the role of design, and innovation or design and creativity because design is no longer just a designer's job, right? This is one of the theses that we have been looking at, how everybody could be a designer, how everybody could be an innovator. Uh, I would love to hear your views on, you know, the role of design and innovation and design and creativity, uh, especially in the current world. It's it's really, really interesting subject. It can be looked at from kind of like many, many angles. And uh, I gave a talk a while ago about, designers kind of of the future and uh, how design is shaping the future and how this old moded way of thinking about creativity is very much in an old world of kind of advertising and we start to look at some of our heroes now um, or people who we admire you know whether it's Elon Musk and Tesla and the way he's completely reinventing kind of market after market and Angela Adrent, who with Christopher Bailey completely transformed Burberry. You know, she's not a designer. She's a marketeer. But in the way that she thinks with her design hat on, she thinks in a completely different way. And I kind of think, you know, there's, there's this whole thing around creativity and design. And some people think, oh, well, I'm not creative or I'm not a designer. 
I kind of would disagree with that. There's so many tools out there at the moment to enable you to get up and running super, super quickly, whether it's a, a Wix website or whether it's, you know, crowdsourcing some kind of ideas or thinking about what off-the-shelf kind of platforms exist to uh, get a product or a brand out there. I think we're just not hamstrung anymore about creativity and design. I think it, it's there for us all to, to take and grasp by, the, by two hands. It's also kind of giving a bit of a opportunity and responsibility at the same time in terms of the type of stuff, you know, people should be designing. And I think that we're seeing a lot of this kind of mindset of designing in terms of the physical products, in terms of the needs. Like I say uh, to my team, you know, we're working from 100 offices, not just one office anymore. Every need is different. Every approach is different. Every person's uh, responsibilities and time and activities are different. And to kind of use design as to create personalization gives a lot of opportunity for many brands out there. Would you agree with, uh, with that analogy? Yeah, absolutely. Having access, we're very, very fortunate to have the access to designers, to strategists, to thinkers, to makers kind of all over the world with our emphasis family. Um, I was on a call earlier today where we're bringing in different offices from around the world to approach what seemingly is a really, really kind of exciting idea. And I love the fact that, you know, this situation has forced us to be more global. It's to think more outside of our current office space, to think outside of our desk and think about how can we connect, whether it's through collaboration, whether it's through word of mouth, whether it's through kind of being inspired by people to come and talk and kind of, you know, we're getting lots of speakers in at the moment, which I kind of think if we weren't in the office, we may not have actually have done that. And it kind of really makes me think that everyone's adapting to this change and it feels like everyone's trying to capitalize on it in a really, really positive way. Absolutely. And, you know, I was listening to a conversation from a very renowned businessman in Dubai who actually owns Burj Al Arab. I should say Burj Khalifa. And his name is Muhammad Al Abar. And he was talking about, you know, human beings are very adaptable, right? Throw any situations at them, they adapt. So I think it just needs that pressure to let them adapt, right? That kind of almost the ability to kind of start thinking differently really quickly given the situation, which means that human beings have the innate ability to be creative, innate ability to be innovative. They just need the right platform, right conditions to operate and right tools as well to operate in that mode. And the, you know, one of the topics that I was thinking about to talk to you about importance of craft, right? And design has uh, many variations as we have talked about environmental design, product design, got digital design, brand design, many, many aspects. And we kind of categorize all of them under the capital D kind of design. But the craft, you know, and the way craft should be thought about, you talked about strategy and you talked about technology earlier. I would love to get a little bit more detail around the importance of craft in terms of being a design-led company or design-led organization. Yeah, craft really, really excites me. Uh, Craft for me is art. It really is. It's kind of every single element for me needs to be considered. And it's every single element. It's, It's being joined up. It's seeing the strategy, it's seeing the planning, it's seeing like every single element, a piece of work coming together. It's not just about a final product. It's like the final product is only a sum of its parts. And it's usually the craft which makes the idea kind of happen and it holds the thing together. We're in this kind of marketplace, in this situation where there's a lot of ideas which are similar. There's very many products which are the same, 
but what is it which makes something different from another? I mean, you can have the best idea in the world and it can be terribly executed and no one's going to pick it up. We do very much have a hacker mindset, I believe, at Brilliant Basics. We want to get stuff out to market. We want to push stuff live. We want to get our customers to engage it. But there needs to be a term minimal marketing product that I kind of believe is kind of important. I really believe it's the difference between something which is good and and the difference between something being great. I really, really do. And it makes you feel something completely different about a product, I believe. Some incredible examples out there. The BBC Two ident for me are so well crafted. They're so beautifully executed. It's like every time you see one, I think, oh, I really wish I was involved in this. It's kind of inspired me to go to the next level with a piece of branding we were working on kind of like recently. For me, that was like a the benchmark of how something kind of needs to be executed. And for me, there's this this concept which I kind of hold on to is that. Whenever you see a film, uh, and I watched an advert recently, way back from 2009, it was a Johnny Walker ad, and it was done in one take by BB-8. And of the six minutes of this film, the final minute was the credit. It was every single person who was involved in making this kind of five-minute ad. And that is, you know, pretty much, it kind of says it all to me. Uh, Craft doesn't happen in isolation. It's not the the well-crafted pixels that a designer gives to a technologist to help kind of make happen. It's all, it's every single thing which goes into a piece of work, which, which makes it that kind of final kind of polished piece. And Neil, you know, just to kind of challenge that a little bit, right? Uh, given a lot of companies are going out of business right now, as you might be hearing, I heard about JCPenney and uh, J. Crew being on the list of, you know, business that might go bust. And there are many companies, many examples are out there. How do you kind of balance this sense of getting out to market quickly, as well as making sure that your craft, your product is as good or as great as, you know, the designers want those products to be? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we need to make sure what we do is relevant. I think sometimes we do get carried away with making sure whatever we do is right for the audience which absolutely we need to, but we really need to balance that with whether it's right for the business or not. So we can have something which is truly engaging. You get, you know, thousands and thousands of downloads, but the business value and benefit is absolutely zero. Whereas something which may go to market may have 10 downloads, but create a million pounds. So really it is absolutely, it's that balance and uh, it's making sure that whatever we do is clear. It's really, really super, super clear. And it's kind of interesting. I mean, that seems kind of really, really kind of obvious, but we need to make sure that, you know, whatever we do is not just, you know, I hate the word best practice. I hate the, you know, I hate the fact that somebody just wants to be as good as their competitors. There needs to be some differentiation and needs to be some standout. But that differentiation standout has to be mapped back to the strategy of the business, which enables a customer. I think sometimes we get it the wrong way around. And I think that's where we can really show the value of design. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, if I can kind of add my two cents worth is it's about just choosing at the very early stages of the strategy session or C2C as we call our strategy sessions, whereby just define where is the most value going to come, get that aligned with the stakeholders and make sure you focus on getting that out to market really quickly and then, you know, do the next thing thereafter and thereafter onwards, right? But design can still play a role in kind of defining that importance and aligning with the complex stakeholders. And, you know, that brings me to the next part, which is the collaboration. I think you touched on that because we've been like hunkered down for last 60 days in our homes, our houses. 
some of the things that we got used to in our studio in London or anywhere else, Berlin or other places, is no longer possible now, right? And that creates a lot of challenges for us. So we have been working together, Neil, your team, and some of the other kind of leadership team members around creating a concept of virtual studio, right? Where people can collaborate. We can use digital tools to solve some of the complex problems, take people on their digital or design journey. How do you think, you know, the culture before and culture, you know, in the midst of COVID-19 situation where people are working from home has changed uh, in your view? I think there's definitely two sides to that. I think what it's enabled is definitely more flexibility and freedom. I think it uh, enables more people to take a bit more control, maybe, of their lives. It's completely overwhelming. It's absolutely completely uh, the other way. But I think what it has enabled us to do is show that we are all grown-ups, that we're all kind of can get on with our work, that we can all be successful and be productive. And I think kind of what, what it's also enabled us to do is to kind of think differently. I very much rely on Slack these days. I, I must say I was quite anti-Slack for quite a while. I just felt it was, I was bombarded kind of nonstop. But now I feel, rightly or wrongly, there's less of my attention on email and it's more on the more kind of immediate correspondence and conversation and the immediate connections with people and quickly pick up the phone or jump on a call. So I feel in that sense that I'm really, really enjoying the immediacy of it. We don't get the face-to-face. We don't get that feeling, I guess, so much when you're in the room together and you see that spark and that infectiousness, those creative moments. I do feel a little bit of tumbleweed sometimes on Zoom and it's kind of waiting for somebody to be funny or silly or irreverent or put on a wig. But again, that's bringing people out of their comfort zones a little bit as well. But with the Miro as a tool, I think it's incredible. I think the way that we've been able to connect and engage the kind of multi-people engaged in workshops or giving their points of view and enabling, you know, sometimes the quieter people in the room to actually have a voice, I think has kind of been really, really important. I think with Zoom, we don't get this sense of people talking over each other. I think we've become probably a little bit more polite. And maybe that's just our culture. But I do love this sense that the collaboration enables more people to be involved and more people to have voices. I also feel just from my observation is I think people have come together far more than they were coming together in the you know, beautiful physical studio space, right, as well. It's quite interesting that collaboration has increased. Uh, of course, we haven't got everything right. So it's an ongoing process, but it feels that there's a sense of coming together as a community because the enemy is outside we are actually, you know, fighting against that enemy, which means that we are much more closer now than we were before. Uh, to your point, I believe that people on that basis are ready to jump on things that they were not as keen before. Absolutely, yeah. There's definitely more this kind of sleeves rolled up entrepreneurial spirit. I think we're, we're very good at casting the right people on the right projects. So we've got a real diverse mix of people and backgrounds and thinking. And, you know, there's no reason why a designer shouldn't become a strategist and a strategist shouldn't be doing UX and a technology shouldn't be, you know, the, the voice of the customer or the voice of the client in the room. And I think that's what really excites me about the current situation is that we're all in it together. You know, there's no time for egos. There's no time for people working on their own. There's only a time for getting stuff done, pulling together and doing the best that we can. It's refreshing. Well said, Neil. Hang in there. Once again, you're uh, listening to the Knowledge Institute Brilliant Basics Edition, where we talk about the role of design and creativity. I'm delighted to be here with Neil Cooper, our Chief Design Officer at Brilliant Basics. So Neil, moving on to the next segment, 
I'm seeing, and I'm sure you are as well, almost everything that were acceptable before COVID-19 is getting reimagined. So, for example, what does going back to school might look like? What is the future of dining could look like? What is the future of climate change and carbon net zero neutrality? What is the future of public transport, for example? And that has led to reimagining almost all aspects of our daily lives and business lives together as well. I think design has a major role to play in reimagination because that's where you start to put customer and the user at the heart of a problem or an opportunity and you start to design solutions in kind of solving those problems. But on the flip side, I also feel that a lot of our clients, uh, existing and new companies, there's still like major obstacles to actually uh, use design to solve some of their problems, right? It's It almost looks like they use design to kind of put lipstick on the pig. Some of them, not all of them. A lot of the companies are very ahead as well. My question to you, you know, in your experience, but also at BB and, and elsewhere, what are some of the major obstacles that do you think clients, companies are facing when it comes to design? I think sometimes we have to, and I mentioned it before, sometimes we really have to fight to demonstrate what the value of design mm-hmm. is bringing. And I think sometimes the design will see it as the lipstick. They will see it as the, the pretty thing they're, they're signing off or they're, they're interacting with kind of in a prototype. And it's really trying to, you know, rationalize return on investment in, in the value that we're bringing. And, and it, it's much harder now. We're having huge challenges in that some of our clients will see design as something which happens with them in a workshop or, you know, they're kind of, it happens in a space in which they're, physically kind of with you with something which needs to feel like something they can kind of like touch and hold and as soon as we take away our kind of physical space it feels like all of a sudden we have to justify again the value and the role that we're bringing so whether it's around how we can help frame their strategy their insight their thinking whether it's around how we can very quickly kind of work with them to unlock any of the challenges that they have it's sometimes design is a thing which it could be the first thing that gets taken off a, a client's budget. And in other instances, you know, uh, design is all the value that they see, that they help, they want to help them shape their business, they want to help them shape their strategy, they want to know kind of, you know, if we did this or did that, or how do all these things kind of fit together, kind of, I can't kind of visualize it, I can't see it myself until you put it together for me. And it's like, yes, it makes sense. And it all of a sudden kind of makes sense of the world and it, it becomes, you know, that invisible becomes visible and it becomes this thing you want to, you know, you can touch and hold and all of a sudden it, it just brings the value to the table. And I think sometimes you just need to remind your client of it's the unseen things which are the most valuable and the most valuable things may come towards the end, but the process we go on is really unlocking your strategy to enable you to create these great experiences or connections, whether it's internally with your employees or externally with your clients or with their customers. And I think we might need a separate podcast for this particular question. But I, I'm certainly seeing, you know, when the business is doing well, they feel that design has a bigger role to play. When the business is not doing well, they feel that design is not useful. And uh, your thesis, my thesis is design is the paramount thing you need to start thinking about as a client, because that's when you think about the most valuable outcome for the business. And also creating that kind of makes things a little bit less risky uh, when you kind of touch a product to the, you know, with the user. And also given the unknown challenges we are seeing out there, 
what you have to think about is how can design start to create things that kind of shapes new industries, new ideas, new products, new services that wasn't common before this particular issues. Yeah, I, I think you only need to look at Formula One and uh, Ferrari, who only took five weeks to create new ventilators for you know the current kind of situation. Usually that would take years. You know, and that was an absolutely kind of design-led process. And there's tons of examples out there with firms who are generally, you know, whether it's Dyson or Ferrari or F1, are absolutely applying their thinking and bringing the value and rapidly getting something to market. Absolutely. And, and this kind of, you know, necessity is the mother of innovation or invention. Uh, I'm seeing that across the board. I saw a milkman in the streets of Mumbai using a long tube to deliver milk that is two meters away from his milk bike. So uh, even like using that as an example shows that people are thinking creatively to get on with their normal lives as well. So I think that's a fantastic topic for the next one. And uh, I'm sure Yulia and I will you know, shape something up for future. Uh, with regards to some of the you know recommendations that you can give to our listeners, our clients who might be listening to this as well, just to attest the importance of design or the things they should be following when they're starting a journey on a new product or service or a, or a program of work? There's a few things. I, I kind of, I alluded to this a little bit earlier on, but I think you've got to believe now you can change the world. I really do. I, it's a confidence, it's not an arrogance, but I really do believe the way that we're starting to think about our work at BB is absolutely kind of underpinned by three key areas, and that's around people, product, and planet. And we have an absolute service to ourselves and to society to really thinking about the value design can bring. And of course, we want to create great marketing campaigns. Of course, we want to make things that look pretty. We also want to do things which help people's lives. And, you know, it may sound a little bit kind of of the moment and a little bit kind of jumping on train. I really fundamentally believe that. I think we need to work quickly. I think we need to be really agile. I think we need to be flexible in the tools that we use. We may not always have the best tools or the right tools needed. And I think we can. That is going to enable us to think differently as well. I think we need to trust our colleagues 100%. I think there's absolutely this element that we are in this together. We all are T-shaped individuals. We have very deep skills, but we also have very broad ranges and capabilities in the way that we can bring something to the table. Radical ideas are bad ideas at the moment. You know, we all want to see the crazy ones. We always want to see the ones which make us a little bit nervous. I was once given some advice a long time ago that if I wasn't nervous before I uh, presented some work to the client, I hadn't pushed it far enough, uh, which was a, a very excellent piece of advice. That was from James Hilton at AKQA. It definitely rings true to me. And we're always in this period now where we just need to invent new ways of working, new ways of doing things, new ways of coming at problems. And uh, that kind of really excites me. I think that design has the ability to respond to this changing world as well. And the other thing that you and I have been talking about is uh, hypothetically, if you and I were starting a company today, then we'd be looking at talent with a completely different lens than ever before. There is no onshore, offshore. There is no cheaper location and expensive location. Everybody is on one location right now, one ground that is called digital ground. And I think for me, that power of people, that power of humanity, the power of ideas and creativity, I think only gives us more energy, more inspiration to do things that were never done before. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. All righty. So, Neil, thank you so much. You've been also kind of working very closely with me and the, and the BB team in redefining BB's strategy as well with regards to, like you said, 
people, product, planet, and use your creative power, your creative thinking. And you almost kind of operated as a business leader in using design to redefine a company. And now we are in the process of creating the operating manual. And in terms of how do we kind of change our delivery structure and all those kind of good stuff. Any final words on how you use design to shape a company like BB? For me, I, I feel really privileged at the moment. I really do. And I feel we're in this position where I always wanted to feel I'm in a situation where you want to build the company you want to start. And I really feel with our conversations around people, product and planet, I was able to input and help shape, spark ideas with yourself around, you know, where do we take next? BB in the next eight years. And I really feel having that passion, I don't think anyone's riding in on a white horse kind of saying, we're going to do this. I really believe in collective ambition. I really believe in people coming together. I really believe in people having a voice and helping to define everything. <laughs> I'm uh, maybe too much at times, but I really wanted people to feel part of the journey. And I feel really privileged to felt part of this journey. I'm so excited about where we're going to be next week let alone in the next kind of eight years so i think never lose sight of what you want to create that's fantastic neil thank you and uh, i want to pay tribute to you and your support in shaping the future bb in partnership with infosys and you know the more and more i talk to the client client are looking for rapid digitization they're looking for a radical way of innovating their products and services uh, they're looking for uh, help with uh, employee experience, people experience. And I think Infosys, BB are really well positioned to kind of bring both speed and scale in all these three areas. So I'm delighted that current COVID-19 situation only creates more opportunity for design and design-led mindset to kind of make our clients and ourselves successful. So thanks for your time, Neil. Really appreciate it. I think it's been a really enjoyable conversation that has led to new topics that we should talk about in the future as well. Before we wrap up, Neil, you know, one of the traditions we have in uh, on our podcast is to ask our guest to talk about a favorite book they're reading or they recently read. My favorite book at the moment is the Dishoon Cookbook. And it's not your, your typical kind of business book or your design book or your, your thriller. But what I love about this book, I love the brand. I just love that feeling of walking into Dishoon and it completely transports me back to being a Mumbai and Mumbai is without doubt my favorite and most visited city that I have been to and what I love about the book is that it takes you through a journey of food and it takes you through a journey of Mumbai and it it will start you at the top of Malabar Hill overlooking the bay and take you through a journey of going to cafes and restaurants and I felt really privileged when reading the book that I'd been to a lot of these places and it just really warms my heart reading this book and knowing that I can cook these recipes myself at home. And I have actually, ironically, made recipes from Dishoom tonight for dinner. So uh, I will be having the naan bread and the dal and the uh, chalet this evening. But it's really incredible. It's, it just takes me back. Amazing. And Dishoom is one of my favorite restaurants. It's yummy what you're kind of describing. In fact, I had my taste buds were going crazy when you're describing that journey. So the book has certainly influenced, um, you know, your thinking and the way you're kind of describing the brand itself. Uh, Neil, how can people find you online? LinkedIn, it would be the first port of call. Um, I'm also uh, active on Instagram, 
Neil Super Cooper. That's S O O P E R C O P E R. My email address is ncooper at brilliantbasics.com. That's brilliant. You are super and you are Neil Cooper. So, on that note, thank you, Neil. You can find the details on our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com slash IKI in our podcast section. Neil, thank you for this really interesting discussion. I really enjoyed it. You know, everyone listening, uh, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Brilliant Basics edition, where we talk about digital disruption, uh, design and future work. Thanks to our lovely producer, Yulia Debari, and the entire Knowledge Institute and Brilliant Basics teams. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing. Stay safe uh, and stay at home in these uh, unprecedented situations. Take care.